I'm Jess Movald, and I've always been inspired by my dad, who's an old crazy runner. Welcome everybody to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. I'm Nicholas, the oldest of the old crazy runners, and I've got my cousin Fundy, the craziest of the crazy runners. And you're going to want to stick around today for Jess Movold, Runner's World coach and brand new mom. I bet she is going to be one of those uh, stroller pushing runners. What do you think? She's probably already out there. I think it's been three <laughs> weeks. She's probably, out, she's probably already done a marathon. She probably adds weights to the stroller to make it harder. She has one of those Peloton strollers style, and you can add resistance. <laughs> Probably. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, we love it if you tell your friends. Go out there, let them know all of the great guests that we have on. And be sure to head on over to Strava, join the Old Crazy Runners Podcast Run Club. And over the past week or so, this was my favorite part of the Strava Podcast Run Club is all these people that didn't used to know each other. A bunch of people did big races over the last couple weeks, and everybody was there to cheer them on, tell everybody how great they did, and really, you know, just keep inspiring each other to keep doing these hard things that we're doing. And right now is a great time to be a part of that club because hopefully, like us, you're really starting to get into the heart of your race series. We finished off uh, one, the first real big one with the Eugene Marathon and Half Marathon. Uh, we got the Seabrook Relay coming up, this one-day hood-to-coast relay. We haven't done this one before. I'm so excited to get this one on the calendar. I'm, hope, I, I'm hoping that it's pretty flat since it's on the coast, but who knows? They always uh, find I've hills. i looked at it, the map. It's not too bad. It's, it's not a windy river at all. You don't have to worry. Yeah about that um so it should be pretty straightforward it's just um it's longer you're gonna have some some pretty long legs i would avoid <laughs> runner three if you want to not get crushed all of it so we we lost a couple of runners and we had to find some fill-ins uh yeah. so evidently by telling everybody that they have to do two five milers i have lied to them yes okay good <laughs> blatantly lied to them oh i'm, I'm so gonna... happy about that <laughs> That's what you have to do. Listen, it's entirely flat. There's nothing to worry about. And you're going to run no more than uh, two five-mile runs. When, exactly. in fact, the shortest, well, somebody's going to actually do that. Somebody is going to do 10.02. There's a, actually, there's three runners that do 10 miles. Okay. That's not so bad. So you, you got a pretty good chance of, of holding true uh, to your word. Um, but runner one is 14 and runner two is, or three is almost 17. Holy shit. Yeah. 17? Yeah. Wow. I got to make sure I'm not runner three. Yeah. You're going to have to do three. You know who you had at three to begin with? Who? Three for Ben Galloway. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh, yeah. actually, I probably am going to have to swap that one out. Well, I'll have to check and see. I think you're going to have to just suck it up and realize you're going to come back from Japan after three weeks of doing nothing and three days later have to run that. Lake three of Seabrook. That's going to be the best. You know what you could do when you're in Japan, if you wanted to make sure that you stay on top of your game, is uh, go out there and train like Lester Wright. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that, but I already, I'm already mad at Lester. I'm upset with Lester already. Don't even know what he did. World War II veteran Lester Wright. That's going to tell you that right there. Yeah. 
So he's got a couple years on us. Broke the record for the 100 meter being ran by a 100 year old. Ran it in a 26:34. Holy shit, that's pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's actually st- that's that's running. That wasn't a shuffle or a mosey. No, he's moving. He was moving. So great video of that out there. Then we'll have that in the show notes to take a look at it. Also, so motivating. I mean, we talk about how we love to run the distances. And, you know, as we really get up in age, as we get into these 80s, 90s, 100s, the idea of actually transitioning back to the quote-unquote sprint, I mean, that's a a short distance. I mean, that's a whole new thing. Some guy just broke the record for uh, the 5K for over 100. By, I think being the first guy over 100 to run a 5K. Was that recent? Oh, my God. He, he didn't run faster than we have, has he? He probably did. <laughs> Our guest today, Jess Mobile, has some fantastic advice for strength training for all of these long runs that we're doing. And I'm sure Nicholas would agree. I probably would have hit my goal of sub four if I would have kept up with those strength training exercises. But I didn't. You didn't, and I, you know, I think Lester also would uh, advocate for the strength training. I'm thinking he's he's pretty well into that if he's going to do what he did. And it is important to recognize that no matter what you're trying to do, if you have a goal, if you have a, a something that you really want to push yourself to, uh, it's an all-encompassing aspect of how you have to train for yourself. And it's really important to listen to people like Jess and what they have to say and helping you move to those different points. And two things you're going to want to pay attention to if in this interview is uh, Jess's first run outfit, which uh, we will not be repeating. And then the random guy she lent money to in New York and actually got back. So you're going to love this conversation. It's a lot of fun. Let's get to it. Jess, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, absolutely. We always want to have guests that know uh, significantly more than we do about how to actually be a runner. So we're really excited to be able to pick your which brain. Which is everybody. Which is most everybody. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So you've been running for a while now. Um, yeah, you could say that. I mean, I definitely, there are seasons to me and running for me. You could definitely say different chapters maybe in the big book. So tell us about those chapters. Well, the first chapter starts as honestly my dad being the runner and me being the middle child and my older sister being the the favorite, the family favorite, and my dad recruiting her to do all of his runs with her, to just head out the door with her. And I having to find my own path all the time was kind of turned off by running because of that. So I was thinking, I'll do anything but that. I'll be a gymnast. I'll be a swimmer. I don't know. I'll I'll do whatever else different. But we didn't really have much in uh, where I grew up. It's a small town in Herman, Missouri, 2,500 people max, literally one stoplight. So I ended up doing running. Um, and to make it different, I decided, I started with track. Mm-hmm. So my first introduction with running was 3 p.m. track, have a coach, run at the meets, do short sprints, and nothing else beyond that. So a couple comments. As the oldest child, and Nicholas being the younger child, the oldest child is always the favorite, just to, to get that out of the game. No. <laughs> and then, agree with you. Uh, are you from a, a, a part of Missouri where it's Missouri or Missouri? 
You know, we've always said Missouri, but there are okay. people in our town who just have not left Missouri. Yeah, which is totally fine. We're totally from Southern fine. Oregon, which is the part of Oregon probably most like Missouri. Yes. Right, exactly. Uh, in, yeah. in a lot of different ways, having uh, <laughs> driven myself from St. Louis to Columbia and back, uh, it's very, very similar. Other than your uh, volume of country, western, and religious radio stations, I think it dwarfs every other state in the United States. It's it's eerily impressive. Yep, that's it. <laughs> I seventy Billboard, uh, country music, and churches. Yeah, yeah, there there was a lot of that. So I can imagine why running was such an inspiration <laughs> to uh, get out there and get away yeah. from all of that. Yeah, it was all we had. So you went from uh, track and short distance, and then what was the next chapter in your running? Track and short distance, and actually becoming pretty good at that. That was middle school, that was high school, that was going to the state championships, but definitely not fast enough to make it, you know, college mm -hmm. level. Um, so running kind of ended for me then at that point. I went to college at Missouri State, um, didn't really know runners, didn't consider myself a runner, just kind of felt like I had a your ordinary college, you know, life, I guess you would say. And um, funny enough, studying fashion merchandising and advertising. So having to have an internship before graduating, we took a trip to New York City to have the opportunity to meet with potential intern employers or to see the city or to understand the fashion industry outside of Missouri, which was obviously helpful. Um, so that led to an internship for myself in New York City in the summer of 2008 with Tommy Hilfiger. Oh, fun. So I didn't connect back to running, oddly enough, until I was living in New York City in the NYU dorms with zero dollars and I was out of my internship every day by 4 p.m. So it became then um, a sense of discovery. I wanted to learn the city. I wanted to know where I was going. I didn't understand New York at the time. So it became like my lifeline to get to work on time. And um, so it was a totally different season of running for me in that at that point. So how would you describe the uh, like the emotional and the mental difference of using your running as a way to explore the city versus versus sprinting, because similar to you, that's that was my initial inter introduction to running as well was was sprinting in high school. And, mm -hmm. you know, it really resonated with me, the idea of of being out and about. And that was really what made me fall in love with more distance and, and running, Absolutely. running. Uh, so I'd love to hear yeah. from you, what were some of the moments when you were out exploring New York City where you were just like, this is it? Yeah, no, I I love that question. And I actually don't get that question ever or often. So the reason I fell in love with track, one, I was very competitive at that time in my life. I think I was, you know, I'm, I'm one of three daughters. We're all three years apart, oddly. And not being the perfect older child and not being the perfect baby child, I just felt like I was like elbowing my way through, you know, my own path and figuring that out. And track really was my outlet for, honestly, and I don't know what it was at this point, but it was my frustration. I was frustrated. I was, I just needed to prove myself, honestly, probably only to myself. I 
had uh, more angst than anyone else probably cared. And so I was like, I got to prove myself. And so that season in my life was all about performance and um, competitiveness and trying to be as fast as I could be and constantly trying to improve and the pressure of that, which I liked at the time. Then when I reconnected with running in a completely different way in 2008, it was this, I got really hooked on the sense of exploration and it wasn't about the distance and it wasn't about the pace and it wasn't about beating my previous time or, you know, beating the person who's five steps ahead of me. All of that didn't matter. I was so fascinated with, and at the time I didn't have a smartwatch, so I would go out and explore and I would pay attention to every single street that I turned down and where I would go and what I found and then make my way back almost like with breadcrumbs in my mind. And then I would sit down at the computer and map it out on GMAP pedometer. And I was so fascinated as I would see that distance grow more and more and more. Then there was this one particular day, I'll never forget. It was the weekend. It was a Saturday. It was raining. I just, it had become my thing. I had, I was living, like I said, in NYU dorms and I had a few roommates there. Um, not ones that I was really close to, but I became the person who was always out on a run, which was so new to me and kind of funny at the same time. But it was a weekend and I was committed to going out and getting over a bridge. I didn't know which one yet. I wasn't sure, but I was like, I'm going to do a run. At the time, I didn't even have like the sense of, oh, this is your long run or that's your short run or this is an easy run. I had no concept of the pieces that fall into place when it comes to training. I was like, I'm just going to find a bridge and run over it. Weather was terrible. Ended up going up the West Side Highway and then far from the bridges. And I wanted to get over to the Brooklyn Bridge. So it ended up being a 16-mile run. But the reason it stood out to me was because I... This thunderstorm came out of nowhere, and I was the only person on the Brooklyn Bridge, except for this man who was running towards me. And I was running, you know, the opposite direction. And he had on this white running singlet, and I had no idea of, like, endurance running at this time. And as he was coming towards me, all I could see was, like, these two white singlet, kind of flowy, but all I could see were these, like, two red spots on his, like, chest area. I was like... (laughs) what is going on with that guy? And then he gets close. I'm like, oh my God, like he's bleeding everywhere. What is going on? Uh, Well, he was, he was, you know, on a long run and his singlet was like chafing his body. And so like there are two streaks of blood just dripping down his white singlet. And then he chatted with me somehow because I guess I was the only crazy person out there in a thunderstorm. And we ended up running eight miles together. He's like, yeah. I'm an architect. I'm staying at one of my hotels, which is the Marriott on the Upper West Side, but I don't have anything with me. um, So I guess I'm going to keep running there. So then I said, well, do you need to borrow 20 bucks? And he's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So we end up running to my block, which was in Chinatown. I run up, give him 20 bucks. He takes my email in his mind. He's like, I promise I will get this back to you. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Like, one, this person's either crazy, or two, I'm never going to hear from him again. Next day, he emails me. He's like, can I meet you on this at this Starbucks? I want to return your 20. And he did. And, you know, I it was really my first connection to city living. So maybe I wouldn't have done that again. Maybe that was, like, kind of foolish. But he emailed me. We met up the next day. He gave me the 20 bucks. He was in this, like, professional suit, looked very put together. And he said, thanks so much. And 
So the thing, the difference is with track, I had like those really personal, you know, like fighting moments against the clock. And this was so new to me because I was getting stronger and faster, but those weren't my priorities. I was learning more and more about myself as I discovered this new city for me. Well, I think in your defense, I think that the one person you want to trust out in the middle of New York is the guy that's going to run far enough in the rain that is going to bleed. <laughs> I know. I, I, I thought you and, were going to uh, stop and chat with people. That's your your standard crazy people aren't going to put that much effort into it. I, I thought well, it was the white singlet. Fits the bill for an old crazy runner. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well. Maybe a little naive. Uh, I don't run in white ever. <laughs> you know? Well, you should check out my first marathon photo to be uh, on the subject. It's very fitting. Unfortunately, my first marathon finishing photo is probably also my most embarrassing running photo ever. And it's with white shorts. Just oh, that. nice. Okay. We, well, we can use yeah, that on the uh, podcast promo. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, we'll track that one down. If, if you'd like to. <laughs> so that's a, a perfect segue. So your first, your first marathon. So as you transition to long running and let's kind of uh, get everybody up to speed where you are now with your running. What's, what is your focus? Uh, what's your favorite thing to do? You know, what does running mean to you now that it didn't, uh, back in high school and then when you first started getting back into it? You know, it's actually a combination of what it meant to me then and then when I reconnected with it. It's it's now a really good blend and it always it hasn't always been this way. I think we, you know, personal relationships with running come in, in different ways and there are struggles and obstacles and, you know, a, a love relationship and a hate relationship or whatever, personal journeys when it comes to running. But for me the competitiveness that I had while doing track and then the love of exploration and this euphoria of the you get at the end of this like run where you just have this confidence and this this post run glow and this sense of satisfaction and this like wow everything's great the runner's high that people talk about I think I now have a really good balance of both I'm competitive I want to perform, I train to perform, but I, it doesn't control me. It doesn't um, keep me up at night. It doesn't really um, change the value that I have found with me and running beyond that. So I, I'm competitive in my own sense, but I also appreciate it for just the, you know, the simplicity of heading out the door and, you know, getting my 30 minutes to myself or 60 minutes to myself. So now currently I have, uh, as races are coming back, I've done a few different types of races. I don't discriminate when it comes to races either. I've done ultras, I've done 100K, I've done a mile race. Um, but particularly this fall, I want to prepare and do my best at the Chicago Marathon in October. Nice. So I would like to, to come back specifically around uh just your marathons themselves so when when did you run your first marathon you started doing distance in 2008 but how long did was it before you went i got to bring this back to an actual competitive thing in some regard yeah. you know not just out on the street Absolutely. totally and that summer was when it came back to me i you know a few weeks after that 16 miler on the brooklyn bridge park with that guy and the bloody nipples i 
decided to go and explore Central Park. And I did my whole thing where I would come back and check the distance. And while it was a very long walk run, because I ended up getting lost, um, <laughs> and I actually didn't get lost. I ran out of money. I brought $4 with me, thinking that that could be, you know, a dollar for a water, a $3 subway ride. It was the middle of a July day, and the Gatorade in Central Park was $4. So I was like, okay, well, I'm, that's not my fare anymore. I'll just have to get myself back home and back to the laptop or the computer. And it was a 22-mile run. So that whole process of going out for a run, learning, exploring, coming back and figuring it out was really cool and served its purpose. But it was starting to get old. I, started, I, I was feeling like a little bored with the whole thing. And I was like, what are you going to do, a 30-mile run or you know, just keep going? I wanted to bring some sort of competitiveness back or some challenge in a form of a race. And I went back to Missouri, finished my senior year. And in 2008, I ran the Bass Pro Missouri um, full marathon in Springfield, Missouri. And there, you know, there were maybe 70 people. My bib was 56. I'm not quite sure, but it was, it was an interesting race. It wasn't what I expected because I was out there by myself the whole time. But to answer your question, first marathon was that November of 2008. In white shorts. In white shorts. Oh, yes. And I bought that outfit at the expo, which was a yeah. brilliant idea. Yeah. I love that it was the Bass Pro. Of course it was. Missouri yeah. Marathon. That's the best part that is sponsored by Bass Pro. Yeah, I bought it. You know, the, the expo closes at six. I think I got there at five. I bought a brand new outfit that day. Obviously, had never run in it before. Mm -hmm. The shorts were... Adidas, I think they were soccer shorts. I don't even know why they were sold at the expo, but they were <laughs> a medium and I needed a small. So the extra fabric of these already loose shorts were yeah. just rubbing against my legs. And yeah. so mile 16, this woman, I'm passing her. She's like, do you want cream? And, you know, if you see the photo, I've got the headphones in, the white ones, and I'm literally in my own zone. Can't feel a thing so dialed in, which I think is a strength that I have or a runner has if they're able to block off like discomfort that well. But I was so dialed in. She said it like two or three times. She says, do you want cream? And I'm like, what? <laughs> she said it again. Do you want any cream? And I'm like, no, uh, thank you. Kept going. Like, man, runners are so weird. What are they talking about? Cream. You're like, bleeding. That, yeah. That got <laughs> out of my zone. Um, and I started to come to a little bit. I'm like, oh, looking around. I'm like, man, this hurt. Like, this is tough. I'm at mile 17. This is starting to not feel so good. I looked down. It was a scary sight. It was, and you guys are both guys, so I'm sorry, but it just, it didn't look good at all. People were wondering <laughs> what happened to this girl. I turn around. I start running backwards in the course to find that woman. And uh, I come back to her. I was like, yes, I want the cream. Where's the cream? And she's like, oh, my family's just ahead. And it was just like a really tough final 10 miles or so. But And you'll see it in the photos. I can email it after this. But uh, I learned a lot that day. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it looks worse than it probably is because it does get diluted in your sweat and you know when you see it from a distance you're like oh my god and then you're looking at it yourself yeah. going well i don't feel like i'm bleeding profusely from my thigh but but it looks like that <laughs> I, I guess, guess I, I am i guess i, I am. was i was genuine genuinely alarmed at that point <laughs> so you've 
rediscovered running in a new way, but your competitiveness is still a core value. It's still who you are. So I got to ask, what was your time on that first marathon? First marathon was 412. 412, nice stuff. She ran backwards for six minutes to go get the cream. (laughs) So it was probably like a 402. We'll we'll back that up. And then I was hooked. Then I was hooked. It was 412, 359, 352, 344. 336. I had to just keep like figuring it out with, you know, and at the time it wasn't in my, I mean, I started to train a little bit, but kind of just a naive runner. I just kept signing. I, the next one I did was like a month after that. I went, my family always does the Dallas white rock and you know, it was November. So I was like, Oh, there's one coming up in December. I'll just do that one. So that one I broke for 359 just a month later. Um, but I was hungry for it. I, I wasn't, smart enough to learn that it was actually in the training mm-hmm. i just thought i was like okay run harder like execute the race better figure out the strength the strategy or run harder have more cream be more tough <laughs> have more cream yeah um so then my uh i think i would say the breakthrough in the marathon for me then was in 2016 so a few years later um so that was the new york city marathon and at that point I implemented not only just training a little bit more consistently, but also strength training. And that mm-hmm. brought me down to a 316. So now I'm holding on to the 313, which is just kind of like, okay, come on, let's just do something big again. Come on. And nice. You've mentioned as well that uh, you've scaled that up, that you, you've ran ultras. So, you know, in looking at how you are uh, focusing your efforts moving forward. Is it still a combination of how to get, do you have a f- even faster marathon goal or are you looking at more of expanding into these longer races and seeing what your time is for both or or all of that? Yeah. You know, part of me wants it all. And I know that you can't, you really have to focus on one specific thing and improve upon that. And I, because of that, there was a phase when I was just doing all of the marathons, every marathon, let's do this one, let's do that one, let's do another one. Um, And I think that was just working against me. Uh, Instead of really training specifically and consistently and really diligently for one specific thing and, you know, pivoting if there was something that happened or maybe an outcome that wasn't what I was hoping for. uh, I think I really started that for in 2019 when I trained a little bit more specifically for Berlin. Um, and so I really have scaled things down. I'm doing, I'm saying yes, less and trying to just be really smart in my training. So that is my ultimate goal for Chicago of this year. And then I think I'll take a break. Well, funny again, here I go. I did, relative. Right? I did. Uh, we, we know what a break, break is. is. We're runners. Yeah. So like three, four days off. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say an afternoon. Again, someone offered me a bib to New York. so I can't really can't say turn no. down that one because yeah. i've done Why would you turn york. that down i've done new york every year since 2013 so i will be doing that one and then i'll take another break and figure it out i do think i'm going to save my 40s for possibly like really crushing it in the those ultras mm-hmm. i think i have it in me so uh first of all well, um, i was going to remind nicholas that uh she's not really old like we are so she has a lot of time to do everything i i saved my 40s as well but i'm, I'm actually going to uh cash it in in my 60s because 
I already, I already passed that. Oh, before, <laughs> I do want to comment. I don't know if you're familiar with Gene Dykes, if you've uh, heard of him before. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, we like to affectionately refer to him as Gene fucking Dykes, the alien. Oh, uh, yeah. He just set another world record. He is an absolute believer that if you want to run a marathon faster, you got to run ultras. That's how he trains really? to run his marathons faster is he runs longer distances. Uh, it yeah, works for well, him. I, that makes sense. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know how he yeah, does it. He just, he's a man. Yeah. He just set the uh, world record for a over 70 year old 50 K yes, at a I did see that. I 737 to pace. Yeah. 737. Yeah, that's right. That was out here in Long Island, right? Uh, I don't know. I just, I stopped reading yeah. after yeah. I saw the 737 pace. <laughs> by the time. It's crazy. Um, so, no, I, I think that works for the, the mindset more than anything. Yeah. You want like the aerobic capacity and the engine and the foundation of running, but then you can trick yourself. You're like, Oh, this is only merit. This is like a short run. I, right. I could go a little faster here. Cause I just did 50 miles the other day at, at maybe eight fifteen pace. I'll just break this down, you know, and, bring it in at seven even um i will say i was going through a phase in my life in 2012 and uh i was i don't know i just again wanted to prove something to myself and i heard about this race in new york called the great new york expedition it's a hundred mile run and it, this was this guy's first year maybe second year doing it but he didn't mark the course very well it was basically a hundred miles within new york city but it takes you all along, you know, we're talking city field. I went up by LaGuardia Airport. You're out by these, you know, the Rockaways. It is an adventure and a lot of like goose chase type of thing because the course wasn't mapped. But I will say, he asked me, he said, what's your, because the training or the registration for this was long closed. And I heard about it. I reached out to him, said, I have to do this. Can I do it? And this was end of May. The race is mid-June end of June. He's like, sure, but I'll let you in, but I need to know, like, you can do this. What's your longest training run late as of yet? And I, you know, it was a really easy questionnaire thing, kind of basic fill out. I said the Boston marathon and, uh, obviously, which is like nothing close to the distance that he's looking for, but I was honest. He's like, then he wrote back to me. Sure. You're in. Um, <laughs> the reason why I think I can be excellent in an ultra, if I wanted to ever go after that, is that I started this race having, I showed up with zero gear, one little Poland Springs bottle. All of these people were really prepared. They had extra pairs of shoes. They had gear. They were like prepared to go and run a hundred miles. I had zero clue. But, and I, because of that, I came in, I was in third place at mile 33. Nice. And the aid station was like, whoa, you're, you're doing you're really great. You're in third place. And at that point, I, the wheels started to fall off and I was like, what? You know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, um, what you don't know sometimes works for you. And if I want to do that, I think I, I could crush it. The following year, I decided to do the hundred K. Oh, and by the way, on that day, I made it to mile 78. And at that point I was like, I, this is good for me, <laughs> but I was shocked with myself. Yeah. I'd never done anything over a marathon. Yeah. It was the end of June. The last mar training run I did was the Boston, so mid-April, um, and I still did pretty, still made it to mile 78. So the next year I went back and I got second in the 100K, and uh, then I took kind of took a break from that. That's awesome. So 
I'd love to turn this towards uh, your coaching uh, and uh, talking about strength training and how that fits in, why it's important, um, and then kind of get into kind of how to get started. And I would like to preface this by saying that um, I've been a Runner's World Plus member, following you, watching the video, seeing the Instagram and I have yet to start my strength training, and it's been a year. So, uh, been, uh, and that's because I hate strength training. It's been fifty-one years. <laughs> well, not since I watched the videos, but it has been fifty-one years. So only uh, it's it's only been 36, 40, 40, 33 whatever. years. I can't yeah. do the math. Thirty-three years since I've been doing strength training. So just a short break. Oh, and all of those tools I've given you, I've given you workouts weekly. Oh, you gave workouts. me everything. I'm a horrible person. Live video, you could follow along with me. I, I know. I cheer you on. I I'm tell terrible. You how to do it? Yeah, there's no excuse. No, um, my personal co- my personal connection to strength training and um, how it improved my running, but also improved my overall life, is one why I'm so passionate about it, and two why I think it is so important for athletes to incorporate some you know some variation of strength training in their routine if they want to really tap into their true potential because what i learned for me was that when i started to connect to heavy weights um not only did it make me stronger i was able to run more mileage i was able to you know focus on more speed work i had zero injuries I felt mentally more capable. And I think when it comes down to races like the marathon, you can train the distance, you can prepare with time on feet, but you can't show up with resilience and you know the ability to embrace the pain cave if you've never been to that pain cave before. You have to understand how to work through discomfort and how to mentally settle into it mm-hmm. and almost like crave it. And that's what strength training did for me. Okay. So I think, I think you might've just flipped the switch because I don't know if it was the tone of your voice there talking about that, but I just got a little bit scared for my upcoming marathon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the things we forget about the marathon when we're not in the middle of doing it at that very moment is how, hard it is how uncomfortable it is how difficult it is at mile 18 and at that point it is a choice to live and sit and kind of like stay with that discomfort wrapped around you like a cashmere blanket if you're going for performance now of course completion is something different getting the medal is something different having that crowd behind you is a huge experience in itself. But if you're truly going to tap into your own potential, you have to be ready for what's going to happen when you are just at your limit. Yeah, I've uh, crashed and burned. I've done two marathons and I say it over and over and over again. The reason why I fell apart was I did not strength train or core train at all, let alone nearly enough uh, leading up to it. And uh, as Funny mentioned, we have a couple marathons coming up here in the next two or three months. And then look at this. I'm right back in that same spot <laughs> talking about how my weakness is that I haven't actually done the core and the strength training. So, uh, But it's not too late. It's it, not it, too late. it definitely isn't. And uh, it is important. And I love that you, you highlight that because it is 
really easy to fall into that groove of uh, I'm just on a long run and I'm comfortable. And that is not the same as when you get out there on that marathon and you had better be ready to go head to toe mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, everything's got to be focused in. Uh, otherwise you're going to be crawling in pain the last few miles <laughs> Yeah, uh, and, easily. You know, honestly, I'm a strength coach. I have these standing appointments on my weekly calendar to do the 12 o'clock Mondays, to do the 12 o'clock Runner's World Wednesdays. And that's when I get it in. To me, I don't just sit and think, oh, what would be so fun right now? I know I'm going to do this really hardcore yeah. workout. You do it because you have to. Yeah, I do it because it's already on my schedule and it's programmed for me. I know I want to do it. I know I need to do it. I know that I'm going to benefit from it. But it doesn't make it any easier to do it. So when people say, you know, they just haven't done it, one, I understand. But two, you just have to pencil it or, you know, ink it in or do something to just make it happen. Um, and I think that's why joining a gym is so important because doing it outside of your your living room, doing it at a place where there's a level of accountability, even if that is a, a virtual group that's waiting for you. If you know that Coach Jess is going to say, Hey, Bundy, welcome. Let's do it. You know, something that keeps you accountable because yeah. it is tough otherwise. And I understand that running is the priority. That's where a lot of our time goes. Most runners have families, jobs, other things that need their attention. And the last thing that gets any attention is mobility and stretching, strength training, even sleep sometimes. But those are the little things that fall into the 1% or, you know, bigger than that perhaps to help inch the needle forward in terms of progress. So uh, I think this is, this is great. So what I'd love to do is give you uh, a few quick fire questions on how uh, both myself and our listeners can get started. Okay. So, okay. So quick fire, number one, what is the minimum number of days per week and minutes in those that you want to start with? Well, anything more than zero. So two days yeah. a week. <laughs> Two days a week and give me like 15 to 30 minutes. Keep it simple. Perfect. Strength, strength gets over, um, you know, over thought about, over concern, yeah. over worry, over stress, can't do it, over judge. It is yeah. simple. Keep it simple. Stick to the fundamentals um, and people get intimidated. And so just keep it to the basics. Cool. Okay. So uh, two, three days a week, 20 minutes ish. So if, uh, so, I, I sent you a photo. We have a puppy. Oh, I am yeah, basically, no. I'm housebound now. It's like having a baby. So going to the gym uh, is, is difficult. Also, I hate going to the gym. So if you are at home, what is your minimum equipment that can help? I see you working with kettlebells a lot. Is there just like a few kettlebells we can get? Or what's, what's your minimum equipment you want to start with? Your body. Start with your body. Mm -hmm. Start with Connection to the feet, take your shoes off, take your socks off, do reverse lunges with a knee drive to generate mm -hmm. that knee drive, to push power through your big toe, to start yep. to generate stability on the non-working leg. Grab mm -hmm. the dog and do <laughs> 20 squats every minute for seven That's minutes. That's perfect because he is growing so fast. I will perfect. increase my weight. Exactly. You'll progress. Naturally. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Uh, I like to do, you know, an, a Metcon, 20 minutes do, that's a long time in this type of workout, but let's say 20 minutes on the clock, five push-ups, 10 
you know, fill in the break, 10 reverse lunges per side, 20 squats. Keep going at your own pace, rest as you need it, but little things like that. So at home, your body weight is going to be your biggest tool if you have no weight at home. Of course, if you have weight, I'm all for grabbing the dumbbells, yeah. grabbing the kettlebells, but add a tempo, do split squats with a 20 second pulse in the bottom. There are so many things that generate strength where people don't give it the credit and they think if they can't make it to the gym, it's like, oh, well, I guess I'm just done for the day. But it, like, if, what if someone came to you and said, listen, I'm supposed to run for 90 minutes today. I can only be out of the house for 60 minutes. I guess I'm just going to cancel it, right? right yeah. cancel no, it? No. You'd be like, what are you talking about? Go for 60 minutes yeah. and you know, eat the 30 as opposed to just throwing it all down the drain. You mentioned uh, two days-ish, 15 to 30 minutes, and then you threw out there, stick to the basics. What are the basics? The basics are, one, think about your goal um, and let that be the driver. And if running your best is your goal, you need strong glutes, you need strong hamstrings, you need a strong core. So the basics would be bodyweight squats, reverse lunges single leg rdl push-ups sit up uh rdl yeah (laughs) yes yes an rdl so i'd love to break it down from the 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 most the top we'll say the top would be let's say it's a straight bar deadlift so you have your you know your barbell you have weights loaded on the side you're at the bottom you pull up nice and strong from the ground hamstrings are working the entire posterior chain is working and that's one of those terms that where you can start to lose somebody if they're new to strength and they're like oh these chain terms i you know i'm tapping out this is too high level for me i I must not be ready then i think about okay i want you to know that the posterior chain is just the back of your body and the back of the body is just as important as the front of the body Mm -hmm. when it comes to running so your butt your hamstrings your lower back, your calves, things that help you remain with strong running form at mile 20, 21, 22, what have you, when you're tired, when your form starts to break down, your foot strike starts to get heavy, heavy and sloppy. Um, those things, those things matter. So the RDL is a variation of a deadlift and it's a Romanian deadlift where essentially you're just hinging at the hips you're loading the hamstring, but you're not returning the weight all the way to the floor. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And there's so, a good primer. There's a move that is called good morning. If you want to look that up sometime, which is just like a nice hip hinge. I'm not sure why it's called mm-hmm. good morning, but it's just, you know, you could do 20 of those maybe in the morning to just connect to your hamstrings and start to recognize the mind and muscle connection by driving power through your big toe and then standing up nice and tall. So it's learning the hip hinge. So a uh, follow-up question for those of us that do want to get uh, a few weights or something at home to start with, um, and because of the pandemic, weights are now uh, ounce per ounce equal with gold. <laughs> what is a good like minimum setup uh, to get up and running? Um, and as a preface, Nicholas and I were just checking on your Instagram and we, we saw what looked like you having two 50 pound kettlebells that you were uh, cleaning and then squatting with. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the ultimate goal for us, uh, mm-hmm. maybe in a year or two. So, uh, you know, it seems like kettlebells are kind of a favorite price yeah. per dollar and usability is, is, is that kind of where we should be looking and maybe you know, what weight points? I would actually start with dumbbells. They're easier to hold. They're easier to store. They're um, they're less clunky. I would get one kettlebell if you could, just to generate power and explosiveness through kettlebell swings. But if this person was just trying to get the bare minimum at their at-home gym, I would say a heavy set of dumbbells. And I don't want to give pounds to that because everyone's different, and you know my heavy set might be different than a first-time. Um, you know, new to running and new to strength training type of person, but heavy so that you think about power and drive from your legs. And that's where you can do the squats, you you do the RDLs, the weights by your side, reverse lunges. So I would say a heavy set, then a light set. So you can do maybe some push press, some renegade rows I really like. And you want to think about what's happening when you're running, and with the run, you want strong arm drive, arm swing. So weights in the hand, hold the high plank, renegade rows is one of my favorites. So a heavy set, a light set, one heavy, mid to heavy kettlebell. So you can do those squats, you can do those explosive kettlebell swings. Um, yeah, and then work your way up. If the person is into getting a barbell, I love a barbell. I think it is such an great tool to have as you know someone who wants to learn and connect to strength training but start simple and then you start to gain confidence and then you'll have the wherewithal to know where to progress yeah and from uh you know for people that are dealing with shorter uh times to work out for running, uh, especially the weights. I mean, it seems like every time one of us within our group or somebody we know gets injured, uh, and I research that injury, it's related to glutes. It's just related to yep. <laughs> weak glutes. The glutes. Yes. Um, are, are we better off doing high reps, lower weights or low reps, higher weights? Both are great. Both I think serve a purpose. Um, most people who have a g- at home setup and not the barbell, you know, more full on gym setup, they would benefit from high reps, lighter weights, because that's just what they're going to have at home. Yeah. But if you can work up to your heavy triple in the deadlift, that's something that is really great and develops a lot of strength and power. Not all the time. You have to have, you know, training phases and there's periodization there reason of building up and scaling down and down you know deload just like a running training plan yeah that's where it gets a little bit more complex a little bit more intimidating so in this case high volume high reps um and then every now and then you can increase the weight and focus on let's say four sets of eight in a in a heavy goblet squat but one thing that will really help even bands even someone's hearing all this and they're like, yeah, right. I'm not getting any, any of that. I know I should, maybe I will. And then they just kind of move on. At least do yourself a favor by getting some resistance bands, doing some monster walks, doing some clamshells, doing wall hydrants. All if, if you don't know what to do with bands, put it above your knees and w- separate your feet, do some squats. And if your glutes start to feel like they're on fire, you're doing it right. 
Yes. <laughs> Look for the fire alarm. You want to strengthen the weaknesses. Right. And that's yeah. where we can find them. That's where we can find them because posterior tib, any type of lower leg stress fracture, we got to figure out why that's happening. And then we have to strengthen the imbalances. And you figure that out through single, you know, unilateral movements, one leg at a time. So not to um, give too much info all at once, but. No, I love this. I am uh, overwhelmingly impressed with the way you just threw out all of those various terms. And I'd like to bring this back just a little bit because I haven't picked up on any uh, fashion and marking vernacular uh, throughout this entire conversation. And I'm, I want to not get too far down the path before asking you, when did you realize you had studied the wrong course? Well, you know, early, early, I, I realized that. And um, I did a lot of PR and events for Tommy Hilfiger, and I actually stayed in the fashion industry until 2016, you know, and I got my first opportunity in 2009. So I bounced around. What I realized through all of that is that I was good at what I did. I was great at the job and I got it done. But m the passion that I found through all of it was when I would help someone. And I had a lot of rare opportunities with very high profile people. And I always walked away from those moments when we had real life in interactions and there was this human connection. And I felt like I was bettering their day or, you know, like bringing some sort of positive addition to their day in a way, anyone from, you know, celebrities to actresses to musicians. And they are always amazed by me because I never was in awe of them, I would say. And I think they're a little confused by that. I was respectful and treated them like, you know, with respect, but like, like anyone else. And so um, during that process, I was realizing that my gift wasn't necessarily the fashion or the entertainment or that lifestyle. In fact, that was slowly killing me. I was less and less excited to be in that environment. And I was it was a struggle. And so my last role in the fashion industry was um, with a creative director and he's an amazing person that we still keep in touch. And I, I learned so much from him. He's creative genius to the point where he was a madman. He's a madman. And I'll tell him that, but in a great way, because I learned the level of excellence. I learned, you know, what it was to be at the top of your craft and how demanding it was. And I was his right hand support. So that was a Devil Wears Prada life for me. It was all in. 24 hours a day, two phones. It was, it, it, that's where it started to kill me. And I thought, I started to have a moment like, I can't do this. But that's when I also found a gym and started strength training. And that strength training not only created physical strength, but I developed a whole new set of personal skills to go after what I wanted, stand up taller, stand up for myself, recognize that I was unhappy, but not only recognize it, learn how to, I learned how to change that. So that's, that was when I, I was able to just have that conversation and say, this isn't right for me anymore. And I realized that all of my highlights in that career were what I was helping people. And I realized that was my skill. And I was like, how do I help people in a different world than this? That's not, you know, I didn't want to go suddenly into the medical field, but I wanted to help people stand up taller themselves. And I wanted to help people change their lives. 
And so that's what really inspired me to go after strength training and running. So I would like to point out that um, I'm not going to completely write off Jess's uh, fashion world yet because I'm seeing a future. If you connect the dots between getting into ultra running and the white shorts and her experience in the fashion, we could actually in the future see, you know, ultra running fashionable wear for old people. That could be it. That could be your niche. We don't know. Yeah, you have it. I, I I could call Vera Wang. I have some. Things. I could get some. <laughs> there you go. Oh my it. god, I'm just trying to envision Vera Wang's taste on running clothes and Nicholas wearing them. Oh, I'm in. Oh, it's not gonna be good. I I I'm in. <laughs> or it could be great. Yeah. yeah. Or it could be great. Depends on whether you're running towards me or away from me. I I think that's gonna right. define whether it's great great or not. <laughs> I will be running away. <laughs> Uh, so I also want to come back to a couple of things cause I've, I've, I don't want to forget my notes here. You've casually thrown out that you ran Boston uh-huh. uh, and New York city and Berlin yeah. and mm-hmm. Chicago's on the books. So Abbott's I got to ask, are you going for your Abbott's medal? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Slowly, but surely not in any particular order, but I would like to go after all six. Um, so yes. Don't have it mapped out, but absolutely. I've heard incredible things of London. Definitely want to get to Tokyo. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it definitely is one of my running bucket list accomplishments that I will do before I'm an old crazy runner. Oh well you you already or missed maybe that do deadline because you you're an OCR right now. <laughs> oh right, right, right. Um so yeah, I definitely want to do that. And um do you want to hear about my Boston story? Of course. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't returned back to Boston since this year. And the year that I ran Boston, I still, like I said, I was in the fashion industry to where it controlled me. It consumed my every day, my minute. And so I didn't have a lot of time to learn more about running, more about properly training. Although I, I was coaching random people and I was like trying to figure it out as I was doing it. I didn't have the time to do that. I just had the passion for it. So I qualified for Boston for the first time in 2010 at the Philly Marathon, which I absolutely love. It's a great time of year. It's mid-November. It's an exceptional course. I was very proud of that day and that run. And I didn't actually make it to Boston until 2012. So let's keep in mind that qualifying for Boston is separate from training for Boston. Hmm. But because I was in such a demanding um, career at the time and didn't have a lot left over for running, I just did the bare minimum at most, ran when I could, which was never. And come along, it's April 2020. I am ill-prepared for this race. I decide I want to make this a personal me thing, so I go alone. and that whole chapter of my life when I explored New York City came rushing back when I got to Boston. I was like, ah, oh, it's a beautiful day. I'm just going to go out and explore. So what did I do? I ran 10 miles on that Saturday. Um, could have been Sunday. It could have been Sunday. But it was really hot. It was the middle of the day. I ran along the Charles. I got so sunburned. I didn't hydrate properly. It was everything you could do wrong, I did. Oh, I like where this story's going. Yeah, this was the year that 
They even gave you the option to defer because it was so hot. It was 91 degrees on Marathon Monday. And yeah, I just, I hadn't trained. I didn't do a long run unless you count the one two days before, maybe one day before of 10 miles. And it was the hardest marathon of my life and actually my worst time to date. So I have a lot to redeem myself for, um, you know, in Boston. And I plan to do that and make it epic. I was going to do it this year, but Chicago and Boston were just too close. And my heart was really pulled in the direction of Chicago. But that year was crazy. Four minute, or four hours and 16 minutes. So four minutes beyond my personal worst. And it was so challenging. People were just like spraying the course with hoses. There's pictures of me looking like a dead person. <laughs> so that's all of those things are what not to do for Boston. But somebody had to do that, right? You know, somebody had to go out and say, here's what not to do. And I'm going to. Well, you're them. a coach. If you don't, if you can't show people what not to do, how are they going to trust you what to do? That's right. That's right. So I have a lot to prove in Boston and I'll, I'm going to get back there and kind of figure out when I want to do that. But that's on the list as well uh, in, in redemption. So I know we're coming up on uh, the, the end of your time available. I'd love to know if there is some sort of uh, link that we can share with our listeners that maybe you have a, a short video series or a blog post of how to get started with tra strength training um, and that kind of, you know, for the beginners out there. Yeah. Well, there's actually a bunch of videos that I've done with Runner's World, so I can I can send that to you. But in Runner's World, it's called Strength Simplified. I put together um, a 40-minute workout, and then there's other videos you can find. But Strength Simplified, and just look past the makeup because, you know, as much as you can say, please no makeup on set, no one listens. And so I... <laughs> terrifying just so you know um do you have, but do you have a good uh, uh, look, uh do you have, a, do you have a, an eye what is that the... oh yeah i i get like the kim kardashian contour and like the sleep nice. color and uh yeah a matching I like it set up in my top and bottom first of all if you ever see me in leggings and it's above 40 degrees someone else forced me to wear them and i don't like <laughs> i don't like the feeling of them they're tight they're yeah. awkward they're weird so I'm in leggings and dripping with sweat, but if you can look beyond all of those things, it is an excellent program that I put a lot of heart and soul into with um, simplified movement. Mm -hmm. There's Bulgarian split squats, another kind of crazy terminology, but your back foot's elevated. There's a whole core series, and that's with Runner's World. I do at some point think I'll start maybe a YouTube channel. Maybe this is the inspiration I needed to do that. Because I don't have one concentrated place where you could find me with strength training uh, unless you come to the fort and join me here in New York, which I would love. But um, maybe this is the inspiration I needed, guys. Maybe I should kick off my own YouTube channel. You absolutely should. Uh, you should. And you should have a, a series just for uh, old crazy runners, like old getting started for old crazy runners. I, I volunteer yeah, to I be the uh, how not to do this correctly uh, person. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that would be over great. in the corner. Have we have Nicholas as your example of what not to do. That's 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 how you can put that out there. If you ever need to make sure you're not doing it right, just see if you're in line with him. If so, stop, pivot, right. reset. You may notice he's sitting there with a beer in his hand. It's an IPA. 
I definitely a value add on yeah. there for that video. Uh, I do have one uh, somewhat abstract question. I want to know more about your dad. How's he doing? Is he still a runner? What? Because uh, he is actually the the old crazy of the runners here. So I'd like to just he touch is. a little bit on your inspiration. I would love that. Um, he is just kind of like my hero. He is such a rock, and he has such the old crazy mindset. And I think that's nothing but a compliment. I think mm-hmm. that type of person is wise is determined knows what they want is comfortable with who they are but wants to continue to be their best self maybe has a family you know i think the old crazy runner is someone who's been out there and done it and tried it maybe there was a point in their life when they had to boast to the world about it but most of the time they're just out there for themselves and they're reliable and disciplined so i think it's nothing more than you know i think a huge honor for people to be an old crazy runner and he certainly has been that for me uh forever so i i always knew him to be out the door before five in the morning he would go out and do 10 miles he'd come back on top of the world and he you know he started his day he got us ready for school he you know went to work himself all the things that you get no awards for um and he did it happily um so in 2003, unfortunately, uh, we lost our mom to pancreatic cancer, and he had three daughters. I was 12 at the, I was 15 at the time. Our youngest, my youngest sister Jen, she was 12, and our oldest was 18. And he just kind of like when you show up for a marathon, you have no idea what you're doing, but you're kind of gonna pretend that you do. He took that challenge single parent suddenly a single parent you know with three daughters he took that challenge head on and he embraced it and he entered it and didn't like fear away from that he's like I have no idea what I'm gonna do here but I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best and you know I'm gonna probably make some mistakes but I'll learn from them so in 2005 shortly after that he was diagnosed with stage five prostate cancer so very aggressive and that kind of intervened with his, you know, with his running, it took away his ability to be out there all the time. And he had a lot of radiation and all of these things and so many battles of his own that he just never mentioned or talked about or showed. He just kept being that provider of strength for our family. Um, but eventually, and he chose radiation because chemo was something that he just didn't want to be knocked down for a day or two here and there. He's like, this is less, you know, um, taxing on my body I'll just do radiation but because of that unfortunately he then had a really severe case of radiation poisoning and the organs in his um, body became like thinned and bladder was thinning and so he had he now has a bladder bag and so he um, he is a old crazy run walker and he's just incredible through all of it he he never backed down from the challenge. He never backed down and said, I couldn't do it. He just kept leaning into it. And I saw such strength and in his real life that translated into strength for me in my life and running. And I was like, if he can do this, you know, I can do hard things. So um, January rolls around. And by the way, I've done, I've been the runner's world coach now for a few years. And so he's always joined me on the run streaks and he makes it his own. He power walks. He, you know, commits to the 35-day challenge. He does it with a, his head held high. And in January, you know, the pandemic was hard on everybody. And January came, and he's like, I'm just bummed. You know, his job was put on 
pulled during that time. And he's like, I need to um, figure myself out again. I need to get motivated again. He's a very young 72-year-old crazy runner, and he was feeling a little lost. And then he called me back. He's like, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after a half marathon. I was like, okay. So then I called him back. Because I googled half marathons and I was trying to find one that was one going to happen, you know, this year, 2021, two, that was going to give him enough time and three, that was meaningful. So he lives in Texas. My younger sister lives in Austin. I realized that the Austin half marathon was happening at the late part of April and I signed him up and I called him back. I was like, hey, I was just doing some research and I just realized that you're registered for the Austin half marathon. So, you know, unless there's (laughs) another Ken Mobald out there you better start getting ready for it. And it just lit a fire under his butt and he trained for it and crushed it. And his finishing time was 3.07, which in my opinion is so phenomenal to power walk a half marathon. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. so that's what he's up to now. Um, But he has the fight and grit of just like, you know, an Olympian. I think that that is probably the greatest, um, Fuck you to somebody ever. <laughs> Not trying to talk him into it. You just called him up. But by the way, I happen to notice that you are on that list. Yeah. So uh, you know your dad pretty well because uh, I'm pretty sure you recognize that that was the one way that he would uh, jump in with both feet and uh, embrace what, what he was up against. So I think that's fantastic. And I love hearing that connection that you have, not just with your dad personally, but what what it means to you uh, in what you do and, and seeing him continue to make these, uh, uh, huge accomplishments. Yeah. He calls me his little Kenny. Um, and I used to get really frustrated with that. And I think I'm just such a, such a duplicate of him that, you know, when I was younger, I had to fight it and now I embrace it so much and I value it so much. And he's still, he signs on to all of my workouts, by the way, and he'll say camo in the house. And Every live thing I do, he shows up and he, you know, does his own version of the workouts and movements that he can do, but he's always there. He always gives, so almost he has his own like fan base now uh, of camo because I talk about his wisdom and it, it just couldn't be um, anything less than how much I describe it because I, there's no way that I would be where I am in this part of my life or running at all without his constant strength and wisdom and hard talks and bringing me back to my core when we all get a little caught up in oh, I don't know or you compare yourself to others or you start to doubt yourself he can give you those those hard talks that really just fire you up again uh so hearing the walking the speed walking uh and the challenging with the uh daughter father Nicholas I've got an idea for him. okay so I have a friend who is a multiple, uh, she's had two heart transplants and she has a Portland to coast walking team and we have the hood to coast running team. Ooh, so, you know, if the Movolds want to make a trip out to Portland, maybe next year, nice. uh, we could double down. Yeah. If you haven't, have you done uh, a Ragnarok or Ragnar uh, or no, any, any but, sort uh, of relay race? Well, I've done the speed project. So that's, a relay race in its own sense, running from Las Vegas to, sorry, running from the Santa Monica Pier 
to Las Vegas as a team of six. And that we just finished that in May. And that's uh, 340 miles if you don't make any changes to the course. But it's an unsanctioned race. So it just starts yeah. at the start and finishes at the finish. And your time, you know, your finishing time is however long or short the time in between those starting, you know, the time you get to those those places from the pier to the sign. Um, this year, our team, we did 309 miles. I did a total of 54 miles, took us 36 hours, and we came in third. Okay, so we take uh, 36 hours to run uh, 199 miles. <laughs> that's, oh. that's what our team does. Uh, Hood to Coast, a little bit truncated off of that. Um, but I, uh, I'm willing to bet it's going to blow away that race when it comes to what you will see on the course. It's absolutely stunning. I just was talking to my friend yesterday, Darcy, her mom, I don't know her mom's name, but she has done the hood to coast running and now she's doing the walking team. She's got like a ladies team and they're doing the walking version. So it might be on that team. I'm not sure, but she lives along the course and it's been something that she remembers her mom doing for years now. Uh, And now the mother is doing the walking version. So I bet my dad would be up for the challenge. It's a lot of fun. I think you'd enjoy it. Well, uh, we can't thank you enough. We did keep you over time. So hopefully we didn't keep you from anything important. Um, But it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And thank you for inspiring everybody to keep kicking ass and getting out there. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. And, working with my schedule and, you know, just rolling with the punches and accepting my weird, crazy self, all my weird stories and tangents and stuff. That's uh, exactly what we want to bring to this podcast is what you brought today. It was fantastic. Thank you so much. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, guys. That might be the first guest that we've had where uh, the dad was actually the old crazy runner. And that was awesome. I love that. Uh, and but I guarantee you, she's going to be an old crazy runner. Oh, without question. Uh, the just hearing her uh, emotional and mental progression from uh, when she started to where she's at now, you can tell that this running is a core part of what makes her feel good about what she does. Yeah, I'm really really pissed off at her though oh man i'm gonna have to start doing this i'm gonna have to start showing up for her stupid instagram lives and doing the things i know it's but it's, the it is so good i mean <laughs> but that's why we have guests on it, it, it really is and she mentioned it you mentioned it i'm dealing with it uh it is really really important and it it should just be emphasized over and over again the backside the glutes the hamstrings the calves they get so neglected and they really are what is probably why you're hurt is one of those three, if not all three, are not uh, strong enough. So getting in with her classes, following along with some of the things that she's done, uh, doing the two days, 15 to 30 minutes, following the basics. These are really, really good things for you and I to incorporate into our weekly schedule. Uh, and when I say that, I also want to point out, what is it with the sp- Slavia's part of Europe and how they have to do a exercise in some weird way so they all get their own name. Oh, well, so, I mean, if you go, once you start researching, like, the number one 
kettlebell workout dude is some Russian dude. And yeah. all of the the Eastern Europe's and the Russians, they just crush it with the weightlifting and stuff. Uh, mostly because I, having lived in that part of the world, that during the Soviet Union, there was one TV channel. There was nothing else to do. Yeah. And they didn't have fancy equipment. They had heavy shit. That's all they had. Yeah. Hand-me-down gray sweats that they're still wearing. Exactly. Well, yeah. that's... Did I ever tell you about... So here I am. I'm in the Republic of Moldova, post-Soviet Union, uh, staying with a family while I'm doing my Peace Corps work. And my uh, host father was the local PE teacher at the at the high school. Okay. At junior high, high school. Yeah. And um, so we're... He says, hey, let's go play basketball, which means let's do shots of vodka and go play basketball. So we're in the gym playing basketball, doing shots of vodka. And this old guy comes in and he's 80. Okay. And uh, so then my host father says, oh, this this was my PE teacher from when I was in high school. Okay. Right. The dude's 80 and he's like, watch this. And then he tells the guy to do something. So this 80 year old, after three shots of vodka, walks up grabs the bar with one hand, pulls himself up so his arm is at a 90 degree, and then lifts his legs up so they're at 90 degree angles and just hangs there at 80 80. years old. Yeah. I have a lot of aspirations in life, and that's not on that list. That is is damn impressive. Uh, All right, well, let's bring it back to the person we just uh, had a chance to talk to because Jess was amazing. One thing that did stand out to me, though, is uh, she started running in 2008, which is when I started running. And, um, man, I feel like I haven't done shit since 2008 talking (laughs) with the list of things that she's done. So my favorite thing of this conversation and, uh, all of our listeners out there, you can't see the video that we see when we're chatting because we can see each other's faces. She's just really fucking excited about life. Yeah. She's positive, excited. You know, she has learned through her father how to roll with the punches that life gives you and just keep on trucking. I also love how she recognized that she had got herself into a profession that wasn't fulfilling and was uh, very quickly sucking the life out of her. And uh, she still found her passion from within that moment. And I think that's an important thing for all of us to recognize is you might be somewhere you don't want to be, you know, physically, emotionally, professionally, uh, that what is it that is there that is the reason why you think there's something better for you? Because it's probably in that spot. And, and just find that passion and then charge forward with it. Yeah, change is hard, man. But once you commit like she did, um, she's, she looks like she is really enjoying what she's doing and she's on an awesome path. Oh, yeah, without question. And staying uh, healthy, strong, and active is uh, super important. She's really going to be on that for a long time to come. And I want to also give some kudos to a man that had stage five cancer 16 years ago and is still kicking it. So obviously, we're all looking forward to her new YouTube channel. But uh, before that, I'm going to link her strength training videos off of Runner's World magazine. And then also her Instagram, so you can show up for her Instagram live workouts. And let's all show up, let her know some old crazy runners are there, and let's get that strength going so we can keep kicking ass. And probably not as much as she keeps kicking ass, but uh, thank you, Jess, for inspiring us.
Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Old Crazy Runners. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends how much you love listening in. And be sure to go by Strava and join the Old Crazy Runners Podcast Run Club because that's where all us old crazies hang out and that's where we encourage each other to keep getting out there, keep putting in the miles, and keep being old crazy runners. <laughs>